Are you a good witch or a bad witch? Hello and welcome to Witch Bitches Review. I am a horny Agent Scully knockoff with a heart of ice and a furry fetish. Phoenix Arcana Lightwood. And I'm a chain-smoking loser who deals with the pain of heartbreak by engaging in vigilante justice. Siren Rex Fry. Actually, that's pretty on brand for me. (laughs) This is the podcast where two actual witches analyze and review representations of witchcraft in media and pop culture. Today we are discussing Charmed Season 1, Episode 12. The Wendigo. And normally at this point, I would tell you about how clever their title is. But the thing is that this title is the name of the enemy they face in the episode. And it's not even really a Wendigo that they're fighting. So this title, meh. <laughs> yeah, not not a great title for this one. Wasn't super creative. According to IMDb, this episode ranked 8.2 out of 10, which is far too high. That's a little bit high. And is the one where Piper is attacked by a vicious beast. And Andy goes on a stakeout, a, a, a date, with an FBI agent hunting a creature. That description makes it seem like those two things are unrelated, but they are not. What is unrelated, however, is this like random ass scavenger hunt Phoebe and Prue go on. Hallmark movie scavenger hunt. Okay. Uh, honestly, yeah. This episode is very charmed. Like you've got the scary demon stuff while the sisters also use their magic to help out the community on a side quest. They're really like full service superheroes. You know, uh, this episode is also the first of many transformation episodes in which at least one of the sisters are affected by various spells or demons and turn into something else. In this case, Piper turns into a Wendigo, except not really. (laughs) I think overall, this episode is pretty solid, aside from the completely incorrect Wendigo stuff. Completely incorrect. The charmed formula, though, is really at work here. There's, like, one serious thing and, like, one less important thing. Not that kidnapping victims aren't important, but I feel like your sister becoming a bloodthirsty creature should maybe take priority in context. Yeah, they're they're not really too worried about Piper until she starts being mean to them. Like, so typical. (laughs) Uh, This one's interesting. I'm excited to talk about it kind of in depth. Should we get into the scene by scene? Let's do it. The episode opens with poor, helpless Piper, who's gotten a flat tire at night in the, I don't know, park or something. And um, she's on the phone on her, like, brick-ass high-C juice box cell phone with Phoebe, who's sitting, you know, at Quake in a nice restaurant, totally safe and just, like, drinking. And <laughs> yeah, Phoebe's trying to talk her through how to change a tire, which is not working out. Listen, I don't know how to change a tire, but even a big old homo like me knows that you should not use a wooden spoon to try to jack up a car. Why didn't Piper, like, you know, if she got a flat tire, was she already in the park? Or did she pull off into the park? I don't because know. Because why didn't she... I know. Why didn't she pull over somewhere that she could, you know, like, get help? I don't know what this bitch is doing, but I reject your notion that homosexuals cannot change their tires because, listen, sweetie, I may have grown up gay, but I also done grew up poor. And I drove <laughs> junk-ass cars that my dad bought for, like, $300 and barely refurbished. Like, one of them didn't even have a door handle, okay? You had to stick your hand in the slot where the door handle used to be. Like, it was your car's vagina. Just get the thing to open its damn door. And the point <laughs> is that I'm very gay. And I know how to use a car jack. Okay. I don't. (laughs) Piper tries to jack up the car with a wooden spoon and it immediately breaks. Uh, But she insists she'll be fine and hangs up to call the auto club. Is that 90s for AAA? I don't don't know. (laughs) I think so. Or maybe they just couldn't say AAA because it's like Mm. a trademarked name. Maybe. Maybe. Wait, what does AAA stand for? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> mm, side note about that wooden spoon, though. Did you notice that um, after she breaks it, she's holding it again in the next shot and it's not broken? No, I did not notice yeah, that. Bitch. <laughs> That's a good catch. Which to me says that Charmed was too cheap to buy a second wooden spoon or something so they could have a broken one and a full one. I don't know. Oh, so you think they like, they shot all of the parts with 
just the same spoon and then broke it for the one Probably, shot. Yeah. <laughs> just hit up a Dollar Tree charm. Seriously. Not that expensive. Jesus. At Quake, completely unconcerned for their sister's well-being, Phoebe is begging Prue for a job at the auction house. But does does Prue even have that authority to just like hire her freeloading sister? I'm confused. I don't know. I mean, she majored in stuff. She is her own boss. The auction house is run by like demons and also nobody and also some lady from the bank. Like this place is just (laughs) shenanigans. Really? What a way to run a business. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what I was thinking in the scene, because Phoebe's like, oh, I know I could use my premonition power at work to get you the straight dope, quote unquote. <laughs> Phoebe's trying to score Prue some dope, I guess. No, but I just think it's weird that like Prue always acts like Phoebe's premonitions are like really inconvenient, which is just, I don't know, ridiculous because I would love to see the future about shit that was going to happen to me at work. So that I could, like, I don't know, get people fired or something. (laughs) Or, like, schedule myself off on that day, you know? (laughs) Do they talk about her premonition power in this first scene? I don't remember that. Yeah, they do. Phoebe's like, I'll use my premonitions to get you the truth about stuff at work. And Prue's like, don't push it. Oh, okay. So annoying. Even though Prue, like, uses her telekinesis to, like, nearly kill people at work, like, all the time. (laughs) She uses it for violence, like, 24-7, but Phoebe can't have a fucking premonition to see who's gossiping about what. Piper's phone dies, which is just, like, a classic, and the only available option is this payphone across the park. And Piper's in her, like, default panic mode, but this time it's justified because she's straight up being stalked by something in the bushes. She hears some, like, snap, crackle, pop, rice krispies (laughs) behind her, and she starts to run when she sees a Bigfoot in the bushes. This scene where Piper's in the phone booth and the monster is trying to get at her is actually really terrifying. We make fun of this show kind of a lot, even though we love it, but thinking of this as a lived experience, I mean, just this alone would traumatize me forever. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty bad. Like, the phone booth tipping over and the glass breaking and stuff. It, like, I don't know. I guess... They put her in the phone booth. I mean, it's like a pretty helpless, confined space, claustrophobic kind of feeling. They put her in the phone booth so that they could say her power doesn't work outside the room she's in. And that's why she couldn't freeze the monster. And I just thought that was really lame. <laughs> like, yeah, no. super lame excuse there. Especially after, like, all the glass breaks and it's not even really a room anymore. And honestly, like, if she knew something was behind her... Why didn't she freeze first and ask questions later? I don't understand. There are so many predicaments that they could get in that they could get out of if Piper would just use her freezing power Correct. more. I mean, it gets worse and worse, especially after she can blow things up. She just forgets she can freeze and solve problems. Um, personally, I would freeze time before doing anything. Just at all. Yeah, no, 100%. Like, this power that she has is so useful. Yeah. And could just completely fix entire situations that they get themselves in. They could avoid They could vo- avoid so many problems so easily if she would just fucking yeah, use her power. Yeah, ex- like, for example, freeze time. Check the public restroom. Is there some creepy guy in there who looks like he's going to talk to me? Okay, I'll find a different bathroom. You know? Just anything. <laughs> But as you said, the phone booth tips over and the creature slashes Piper. But thank God, a man shows up just in the nick of time to save her from certain death. Piper is like, she's kind of a damsel in distress in this episode. And that's not really like her character, you know? I mean, it's not really any of the three main characters' character to like be the damsel. That's just not really how they are. Yeah, she tends to be pretty neurotic, but she's never totally helpless the way that she is here. And, you know, like I said, she should have just frozen the monster instead of just running away. Like, Yeah, I mean, so I guess I thought it was kind of on brand for season one, Piper, just because she's like the timid, like mousy, nervous one. Just for now, though, I mean, season six, Piper would have cut this episode short, like right away. Just like, and we're done. But after this terrifying scene, we have the opening credits. This song is Down So Long by Jewel from her second album, Spirit, which is, like, my favorite album of hers. And this song, like, so takes me back. Oh, my God. I love it. I actually didn't notice the song. Okay. How, though? Because, like, literally all the Charmed opening songs are iconic. Like, all of them. Um, I don't know. I just, I didn't, I, don't, I was too focused on, like, the action and what was, like, taking place. Background music, for me, it just 
starts to become background music, mm, you know? See, I, well, sometimes the music really reflects the theme of the episode, and those, I think, are especially brilliant. But especially rewatching it now, the music kind of sets the time period for me, too. Yeah, I can agree with that, for sure. So, the next scene is in the hospital, and Prue and Phoebe arrive to check on Piper, and Andy is there to help out. Piper says if she needs a transfusion, she's AB negative, um, and it could be a problem. But Andy's like, oh, that's okay, I'm AB negative too, so, you know, it'll be fine. So this scene always bothered me. Yeah, and so I finally decided for the podcast that I would do some research into it. So here's the facts on that whole comment. Um, AB negative blood does not at all work the way that they're describing it here. It's not like if you're AB negative, you can only receive from AB negative. That's not the case at all. AB negative is the rarest blood type. However, AB negative blood can be donated to literally anyone. Like any person can receive it. So it's very desirable in terms of blood banks. And a person who is AB negative can receive blood from any negative blood type. So like the transfusion thing that Piper's freaking out about is not that dire. And we're led to believe that she's college educated. So I'm just going to need you to take a step back here, Piper. Okay. <laughs> um, AB negative blood is found in less than 1% of the population. Um, so it is really rare. And like I said, pretty cool that it can be received by anyone. But also I wanted to make a note that it's very statistically unlikely that both Piper and Andy would have it in the same hospital room. Not impossible, but unlikely. Uh, we learn that the man who saved Piper is called Billy, portrayed by Billy Jane, who also played Blanche's grandson in an episode of The Golden Girls, that one where he comes to visit because his home life is real bad, and he's like a problem child, and he has a bunch of kids over, and they oh, play really loud music that at- that guy. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's that guy. So there's that. Maybe the writers just couldn't think of a name for this character, but I have a really hard time believing that that was a I feel like a lot of the time- Charmed was just like, oh, we forgot to name this character. Hey, actor, what's your name? Like, (laughs) because uh, I mean, it works, I guess. uh, No, that's not the last time we're going to see this either. It's not. (laughs) I feel like I want to point it out every single time. Yeah, we will. Um, So Billy tries to smoke in the hospital. So I guess um, Blanche did not get him in line. No, she Um, did not. (laughs) But it's kind of iconic. And then Prue was like, "Mm, I follow the rules and I don't think you can smoke here. And like, come on, Prue, be gay, do crime, smoke in the hospital, be ungovernable. But Andy starts to interrogate Blanche's grandson when he's interrupted by Agent Fallon, who is remarkably um, human looking. Phoebe's like a little gay for Agent Fallon, I think. Phoebe is like totes gay for Agent Fallon. And honestly, me too. Andy's like, okay, cool. It's a monster. I'm going to arrest it since I can't try to arrest my ex-girlfriend anymore. (laughs) Get a hobby, Andy. Ugh. So we get some backstory about Billy and his dead fiance, who are apparently from Chicago and got attacked by this thing while camping near the lake. Uh, that sounds about right. Anyway, so um, and you know, then we learn that this creature is afraid of fire and rips out hearts, and Billy is here to kill it. So the next day, Piper's researching in the Book of Shadows, and Prue is doing something in the kitchen, very clearly using her powers for menial tasks. Yeah, she's. She's cooking breakfast for Piper because Piper's, like, injured or whatever. But, like, what the fuck is Prue cooking for her? It's, like, like pig slop, concrete, mud. I don't know. <laughs> it looks like one of their, like, unpleasantly thick vanquishing potions. And she just, like, ladled slops it into a bowl and, like, hands it to Piper. Like, wow, thanks for this. I think it was oatmeal. It does look pretty nasty, gotta say. Prue's assertion that the police should handle the monster that attacked them is really atypical. They literally never leave it to the cops. Like, ever. That was, that was, like, really weird for me. Because, I mean, like, monster, and Piper's like, okay, Book of Shadows. And Prue was like, no, let's leave it to the cops. They're really good at arresting me, so maybe they can deal with this, too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so we get some sisterly banter, and then we learn that the creature is called a Wendigo, but It's not a Wendigo at all. Wrong.
It's time for You Must Be Mistaken. This is the part of the show where we call out the wild inaccuracies and misrepresented figures, features, and creatures in mythology. Charm describes a Wendigo as a person who cuts out the heart of their unfaithful lover, and this process turns their own heart to ice and transforms them into a Bigfoot-looking motherfucker who likes to take moonlit strolls through the park looking for a heart to munch on, but only if they're A-B negative. (laughs) The Wendigo is a mythological creature or evil spirit, which originates from the First Nations people based in and around the East Coast forests of Canada, the Great Plains region of the United States, and the Great Lakes region of the United States and Canada. The Wendigo is often said to be a malevolent spirit, sometimes depicted as a creature with human-like characteristics, which possesses human beings. The Wendigo is known to invoke feelings of insatiable greed or hunger, the desire to cannibalize other humans, as well as the propensity to commit murder in those that, that fall under its influence. The show really misses the mark on this one. They got literally almost everything wrong. Like Charmed really tries its hardest when they're attempting to be a chilling supernatural romance teledrama, but the, the betrayal of a lover isn't present in any of the actual Wendigo myths. Uh, While cannibalism is the primal desire of a Wendigo, it's not about the heart or love specifically, it's about consumption. Actual Wendigo myths and legends are more of an allegory for greed and gluttony. Charmed basically decided to make a werewolf episode without calling it a werewolf. Essentially, uh, this really did feel like somebody in production was like, no, Buffy just did werewolves last season. Just pick something else. And, and this is what they landed on. I had a pretty good understanding of Wendigo mythology before I prepared for this episode, but I did learn some fascinating stuff. I just wanted to be sure that we were as accurate as possible when talking about this, because neither of us are indigenous people, and this is a creature straight out of indigenous folklore. Uh, Supernatural also has an episode in its first season called Wendigo, and that episode was pretty accurate based on my research, not to mention, like, terrifying. But Supernatural was pretty good about the incorporation of folk legends and other kinds of mythology accurately before they went all biblical for like a decade. Now I might need to watch it again, but I kind of thought the Supernatural Wendigo episode was a little werewolfy too. Like maybe not so much like the creature turns into a human every now and then, but it was just very, I don't know. It just seemed more like wolf beast monstery rather than this thing can possess people. They didn't do like the possession thing. But they did a lot of the other things that I that I researched, like that it follows its prey, that it can mimic voices, that it will like try to convince you to come out into the dark with it, that it'll follow you around for a really long time, that it's like smart and can open doors and things like mm. okay, things like All things, right. things like that. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Um, but yeah, so it's pretty insulting. I think that Charmed basically just took werewolf mythology and they were like, let's just slap this indigenous word on it instead and our white audiences won't know the fucking difference. Is basically what happened there. And I kind of used to think that Wendigo and werewolf were interchangeable because of this episode of television. So, I mean, that misunderstanding hasn't really prompted me to, like, be super discriminating and awful to, like, actual indigenous people, but it is still misinformation, and it's not good. Yeah, exactly. Um, The word Wendigo appears in many indigenous languages and has a lot of alternative translations. Uh, The source of the English word is from the Ojibwe word for the creature. I did not get a lot of etymology on this, other than that Wendigo may or may not have come from a word in Ojibwe, which may or may not have meant owl. Um, (laughs) So that's definitive. Um, There are a lot of variations on spelling and pronunciation as the word goes from tribe to tribe. In pop culture, it's mostly pronounced Wendigo, although it could alternately have been Weendigo or Wendigo or Weendigo, Um, again, depending on what tribe was saying it. In indigenous representations of the Wendigo, it's described as a giant humanoid with a heart of ice, a foul stench, or a sudden unreasonable chill might precede its approach. Um, there are other pop culture representations that often label human-beast hybrids featuring antlers or horns with the Wendigo name. 
But such animal features don't really appear in the original indigenous stories. Um, and I do actually want to add that um, Wendigo is also kind of a common name for, like, fantasy video game monsters. Oh, um, yeah. Especially, like, okay, so I'm a big Final Fantasy fan. And um, Final Fantasy tends to repeat um, common monsters that you fight throughout the series with just, like, they redesign them, but they often keep the same name. Um, Wendigo is a name that they have repeatedly used for um, regular random encounter fights, basically. And they also tend to be sort of the, the humanoid beast, like, cross type of monster. But the Heart of Ice thing is really the most accurate overlap with the charmed representation, but they took it in the wrong direction, for sure. Rather than it being a metaphor for wickedness, they made it about spurned lovers, which just feels trivial in comparison to the actual origins of the creature, you know? You know, and I was just thinking, they kind of do that more than once. I'm thinking about the Banshee episode in particular right now. Mm -hmm. We're like that they make that all to do about like broken hearts and people who are like grieving and lost love. And that's not really a Banshee thing either. That's just thing about that. Charmed is just really, really focused on like heartbreak because the sisters can't keep a man because they can't afford to pay one for very long. (laughs) So from the Wikipedia article on Wendigos, um, this is a quote from Basil or Basil H. Johnston, an Ojibwe teacher and scholar from Ontario, and he gives a physical description of what a Wendigo would look like. So he says, The Wendigo was gaunt to the point of emaciation, its desiccated skin pulled tightly over its bones. With its bones pushing out against its skin, its complexion, the ash gray of death and its eyes pushed back deep into their sockets. The Wendigo looked like a gaunt skeleton recently disinterred from the grave. What lips it had were tattered and bloody, unclean and suffering from separation of the flesh. The Wendigo gave off a strange and eerie odor of decay and decomposition of death and corruption. That's actually quite lyrical and beautiful for the horror it describes. And honestly, that's scary. That like, is scary. Yeah, for sure. There was no reason to turn it into what they did. They either should have just said werewolf or they should have actually made an episode about a Wendigo. You know, like pick one. So it's just, it's really unfortunate that they slapped the Wendigo name on a werewolf. So just like casually and thoughtlessly. So what we've presented to you basically pretty much shows you that the Wendigo was a pretty terrifying monster all by itself, who actually probably could have been a really fascinating episode where people could have learned something about indigenous culture. But instead, what we have is a whitewashed werewolf Wendigo that was completely changed for literally no reason. Now back to your regularly scheduled programming. Crew and Phoebe are working girls. And Phoebe gets a premonition from this, like, random bracelet at the auction house and is just determined to figure out what it means. And listen, I get psychic hits all the time that don't have any major significance. So maybe, like, chill out for two seconds, Phoebe. Like, take a breather. Give yourself a second. I know this is probably important, but you're at work. Calm down. I mean, at least wait till the end of the workday to deal with your personal drama. Jesus, Phoebe. If I stopped what I was doing every single time I got a hit off a person, I'd never get anything done. Phoebe doesn't get anything done with her day after this. No, I think it's funny, though, that Phoebe says, I really think this is going to work out with you and me, then immediately gets a vision that destroys her job there. Just totally ruins it. So at Quake, Piper meets up with Billy because she's absolutely still hunting the Wendigo. Not at all following Prue's advice to just let the cops handle it because that's pretty poor advice, Prue. (laughs) And um, so Piper tells Billy all this new information about the Wendigo, which blows his fucking mind as if werewolf mythology wasn't available to all of us at this point in time. Like, watch a movie, okay? Honestly. Yeah, and he, like, flirts with her so badly, he says she reminds him of his murdered lover. (laughs) Why would you say that, Billy? Why would you say that? Ew. Billy. Ew, Billy. Ew. How did he end up engaged in the first place with a game like that? Like... I don't know, she was probably just some loser with 
Type A B negative blood. <laughs> Pretty desperate. Billy wants to go to Agent Fallon and tell her this new exciting monster news, but Piper is just like, I'm here for you, buddy. Like, just really put off by that really creepy flirting that he did. Yeah, and then this other thing that happens is Billy calls Piper a PhD in Wendigo because she read one page in a book written by white people. <laughs> Andy and Agent Fallon are on a cop date talking about hunting by blood type on the nights of the full moon and plan a second cop date since she has to leave to kill Billy real quick. Oh, uh, by the way, guys, Agent Fallon is the Wendigo. In case Would you-, you believe that this, like, strong, like, sexual warrior woman is the bad guy? I'm just, I'm having trouble wrapping my head around it. Never once would have imagined that she was a serial killer. Yeah, um, so the scene where Agent Fallon kills Billy is fucked up because of her purse. <laughs> and I just have to talk about it. And it always, the shot always drove me crazy because you can tell something is wrong with it. But like, I couldn't quite figure out what it is. Okay, but basically, so Fallon has a long crossbody bag hanging on one shoulder through the entire scene. And that's how you carry a crossbody bag, by the way, is cross your body on your shoulder. Duh. Except in the shot where Billy's corpse falls to the ground after she just snapped his neck with her bare hands, suddenly that... The purse strap of her crossbody bag is in her hand. The purse is basically dragging on the floor. And she's holding it in the same hand that she just used to kill him. And then it's back on her shoulder a moment later. What the actual fuck? I mean, I get that you're like a supernatural monster, but that doesn't mean that you don't know how to carry a fucking bag. Jesus, Ashley. (laughs) So, um, Agent Fallon, a.k.a. the Wendigo, uh, is played by Jocelyn Seagrave. And her acting is, like, weird. Um, so she was a guest star on, like, a million shows. She only landed one series regular role on a show called Pacific Palisades in 1997, which only lasted 13 episodes. She's, like kind of good and kind of awkward. It's like if a tough bitch is awkward. Like, that's what she is. She has this, like, classic male noir P.I. vibe going on, which I I kind of love, but it's just, like, so out of place. It's like she's in a different time period and a different show than where she really is. You know what else is out of place? That fucking weird-ass nude lip shade she has on. Mmm... It's like she's got a she's got on like a beige lip. She's like, I got this really fancy secret agent trench coat to help hide my identity as a monster. And you know what else would go with it? A matching lipstick. Do you know what? I mean, this is just occurring to me. I think she almost this is maybe why I'm sort of fascinated by her. She kind of has this like genderqueer vibe now that I'm thinking about it. Like, she, like, it's almost like her character was written to be a man, and then they decided to have a woman play her, sort of like, you know, they did with Ripley in Alien. Because she's, all of her behavior is, like, really masculine, and so is her dress. I mean, and so is her clothing. I guess she's not wearing a dress. But she's also, like, like a sexual lady, at the same time, it's just, I don't know. This is very interesting. Uh, she definitely reads as lesbian to me. So I yeah, kinda, I think it's kind of weird when she hits on Andy. If this episode had been like her seducing Phoebe, it'd been way cooler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I totally agree. the The gender queer thing is a really good catch, though, because I don't I don't know if you remember, but when they find out that Agent Fallon is the monster and that she's a woman. Piper is like, what? I thought it had to be a him. Which is so stupid. Which is stupid. It's stupid that everything is so binarily gendered in Charmed. Mm-hmm. For well, sure. It's because, it's because she's a 90s woman. And of course, back then, the women were stealing all of the jobs that were traditionally made for men, <laughs> including being Wendigos. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, with that catch, though, that makes it a little bit interesting. A little bit. I almost wonder, like, how much of this was, like, subliminally going on in the creators of the show at the time. Because that actually was, um, you know, a thing in the 90s. And it's always been a thing. But it was definitely, like, being reborn in the 90s. Like, is it okay that women are allowed to, like, work and take on all these traditionally masculine roles? And is it going to destroy the family? And are the women going to just, like, kill men and become sluts? You know, and 
that's basically what Asian Fallon does. So Phoebe is still totally unconcerned with Piper's trauma and investigates a kidnapping from like forever ago via the dial-up internet <laughs> and proves like what the fuck phoebe here's the thing why are there buyers interested in a pre-engraved gold bracelet i don't know i can't really see that happening because they're like starting it at like 300 dollars, right like who would pay 300 dollars for a bracelet with someone else's initials on it i'm at a loss i don't know i was just at a loss but i mean that, I, that purely exists to make it seem stressful like phoebe's on a time crunch to figure it out and that's why she can't just do her fucking job it doesn't make sense nobody would be interested in buying this bracelet so yeah it's just a plot point but at quake piper's sick as fuck but oh no the health inspector's here wah, wah. <laughs> i wonder what could be going on with piper Hmm. There's been no events recently that could be an explanation for this strange behavior. Yeah, no reason nothing happened yesterday that might make her feel off today. (laughs) I would not have gone to work. I would not have gone to work. I wouldn't either. Yeah, that's up with that. That's really weird. I mean, like, she literally could have documentation that she was questioned by the police and in the hospital. Like, why are you at work, bitch? But whatever. Honestly, why did you go to work? I literally look for any excuse not to go to work. I literally just quit my job. (laughs) Like, why would you go to work? I would call into work because, like, I thought I might throw up. Let alone... if I just got attacked by a monster last night. Like, what the yeah. fuck, Piper? Hi, um, so it's literally almost killed last night, and also I <coughs> don't feel well. I'm not coming to work today. <laughs> That's me. The next time, next time I have to miss a day of work, I'm gonna use Wendigo as an excuse. Precisely that excuse. <laughs> so now Andy and Agent Fallon are investigating Billy's murder, and Agent Fallon is like, mm, I wonder what could be going on. I certainly didn't kill him. I bet what we should do is go on a sexy stakeout later tonight at the park. You and me, one of us might die. <laughs> Literally everything that she does is so incriminating. The way that, just the way that she talks when they're standing there, they're like, she's like, I bet I know why this person did that. I wish that I could do a good impression of her, honestly. I should have developed one for this. Because the way she talks is so interesting to me. Because she has this, like, sultry, powerful slut thing going on. But she also has this private investigator thing going on. And she also has just this, like, really, like, gruff tough bitch thing going on and also this really awkward thing going on it's so fascinating i think i might want to be her the more i describe it listen um i I don't i don't think wendigo would be a good look for you no no not wendigo but genderqueer private investigator slut could be a good look for me Oh my god, we should write a show about that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're, you're correct that her vibe is, like, really hard to pin down. There's so much going on with her character that it, it almost makes me sad that she was, like, a one-off. Yeah, it's just, that's why I, that's why I said originally her acting is weird. Because I won't say it's bad. It's just weird. And not weird in a bad way, necessarily. I just, like, I don't know. Like, I like it, I'm into it, but it's fucking weird. Like, you know, you get it. yeah. So as, you know, Agent Fallon is pretending to investigate herself with Andy, trying to get that D, (laughs) Phoebe decided to solve a kidnapping on her lunch break, and Prue sabotages an auction. She knocks all of the auction paddles on the floor, like that was going to stop the auction. Yeah, like, these are rich, entitled white people. I feel like they would probably just, like, raise their hands or, like, stand up and talk, but they're like, oh, no, I lost my paddle with a number on it i guess i won't buy this bracelet with someone else's initials and also almost all the people who try to bid on it are like old white men who are you giving that to exactly your granddaughter whose exact initials are tl or your mistress whose exact initials are tl like you do not nobody has that kind of coincidental person in their life like shut up shut the fuck up you don't need that bracelet you're just being a dick (laughs) 
It's given into his like favorite stripper at the club. Oh <laughs> yeah. Like, hey baby, what's your initials? Cool, I bought this just for you. <laughs> and her name is like Barbara Manatee. Oh, Not God. even fucking Tio. Piper has this fever dream where she turns into a Sasquatch and then wakes up to Andy telling her that Billy was murdered and she's in like some serious need of some nair. Oh my god, wax that arm, girl, before you even think about leaving the house. Listen, you absolutely do not have to shave if you don't want to. Feminism. (laughs) But that's some crazy shit. Okay, that's an uncomfortable level of hair for everyone. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah for like, everyone it listen it does not say i'm an empowered woman it says i am going to turn into a beast later tonight this and is... prowl the parks of san francisco looking to straight up murder somebody's girlfriend <laughs> stop it piper stop it this is it's not like a balance between masculine and feminine expression that's gang green bitch like <laughs> That shit looks like it stinks. Like, I can't. Like, I can't. I can't. So there's this thing that Charmed does a lot, which I like. I always think it's clever. Piper says, who could have killed Billy? And then Agent Fallon, like, walks in immediately after. And they do that all the time. And, like, sometimes, like, most of the time I think the viewer is in on it. But, like, sometimes you're not even. But definitely, oh my god, in season three when Cole shows up, that literally happens once an episode until they find out he's a demon. Honestly. It does. Okay, so Phoebe visits the mother of Terry Lane, which is the innocent in Phoebe's vision. Um, Phoebe babbles selfishly about herself, a real season one character flaw, because she's a screw-up with a heart of gold... All of these things that we already know about her. Even though her intentions are good, she just has a tendency to fuck shit up, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Relatable. No, I don't think that this was intentional. But the family that they help is black, and that sort of draws attention to the fact that the needs and safety of black people are often ignored by law enforcement and the justice system. Like, the fact that this little girl was so close by that they could go get her from wherever she was and get her back home in the same day. So we know that the kidnapping happened when Terry was five, and she's at least, like, 11 or 12 now. Like, seven years of her being 20 minutes away. I mean, it does beg the question, like, how involved were the cops at all that Harriet had to hire a PI to find her daughter? I mean, it's possible that the police just didn't even try to help Harriet find Terry at all. Um, I think race absolutely does play a role in that. Um, I hopefully don't need to tell you that it's a very tense relationship between police officers and people of color right now, with definitely one of them being the aggressor, the instigator, and the other one being the ignored, oppressed victim. And I'll let you just connect the dots on who the fuck is who, and you better get it right, bitch. But also, um, family kidnappings can be definitely treated differently by the legal system. Um, unless you have, like, some specific shit is part of your divorce, like, a father taking his child from the mother wouldn't always be treated like a serious kidnapping. It would often be treated like a custody issue, in which case, if the mother could not find the father, she could not even sue for custody. So, was the daughter kidnapped? Yes. Does the legal, is the legal system going to treat it like a kidnapping by a random person? No. So there's a lot at play here. Yeah. It just, like, I don't totally understand the situation that they're in. Because the way that, like, it it's made to seem, it's like she disappeared off the face of the earth. No, so they say that Terry was kidnapped by her father. Yeah. And that's the issue there, is the father thing. Because without a specific custody agreement that he's violating, then the police will be like, oh, there's nothing I can do. Or they'll be like, you need to sue him. And if she doesn't have an address, even if he only lives 20 minutes away, if she doesn't know where that is, like, there's nothing she can do. And this was back before Harriet Lane could just get on Facebook and find her useless-ass kidnapping baby daddy and take his ass to court. I mean, it had a happy ending, but it was kind of a useless side story, in my opinion. This scene has, like, just a very good, a very feel-good after-school special kind of vibe, especially with that, like, heartwarming music. It's just, like, very, like, Hallmark, Lifetime TV for women 
kind of thing going yeah on there. it's it's very lifetime the backstory that we get all of it very very lifetime very lifetime i have to tell you something phoenix i straight up disagree with your interpretation that these scenes are unimportant and i will tell you why so Phoebe getting a basically a, a psychometric impression off touching that bracelet and then using her intuition to do good in her community is so much more like actual witchcraft than any demon fighting that they do. I can agree with that. When the sisters use their powers and cast spells to help people, that feels like actual witchcraft to me. No, I, I can agree with that. I, I guess I didn't think about it that way. I feel like I was just, like, in context of what is going on in the episode, I just feel like this could have waited in comparison to what Piper is going through. But I I mean, I feel, I guess they were at work all day. Piper couldn't just, like, send him a quick little text message and be like, hey, I'm real sick. Can you come home, please? Like, Yeah, and of course, Piper's phone was probably still dead because she's real fucking irresponsible, apparently. (laughs) Yeah, she probably tried to charge it with that wooden spoon. Right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I can agree with your interpretation that them helping people in mundane ways is a little bit more like real witchcraft. Um, I didn't think about that. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's sort of a, an interesting parallel that goes on in a lot of episodes where I guess the like fighting demons and like saving people's lives who would be horrifically murdered by them is sort of like their like bigger picture goal. But mm-hmm. the way that they like use magic to, like, help everyday people out in little ways that they might not even notice was magic. Like, that, to me, is cool. And it speaks to who they are as people, you know? Mm-hmm. And is, like I said, just kind of more what witchcraft is about for me. Like, in episodes, I think it's Ex Libris, later with... I was just thinking of that same one, yes. Where they, where they help that man get justice for his daughter. Like, you know, all of that stuff is... It, I, I like it in that episode, for sure. I just feel like sometimes there's, like, something major going on and there's, like, a whole lot of time and focus on, like, the smaller issue. And I think the reason that I focused on it so hard in this is because Piper's, like, in danger. She's in danger, girl. And they're just, like, hunky-dory waste of time. They dove 20 minutes away after their sister just got attacked last night. (laughs) That's true. And so, unfortunately, what makes that work in this episode is sort of a minimalization of what Piper is dealing with. So remember that Piper doesn't see the page about the Wendigo and think that's what she's dealing with until Phoebe and Prue have already gone to work. Mm -hmm. And then they don't talk about it until much later. So I think in Prue and Phoebe's mind... Like, Piper just had a run-in with a wild animal, or perhaps a mugger, or something. Like, they're not thinking they're up against a demon here. Right. Which is why they just, like, went to work and didn't deal with it. Now, is that, like, a minimization of what Piper is going through on their part? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, They did a really good... They did a really good thing with their time, don't get me wrong. But... I just feel like there was not a lot of care for Piper's trauma that just happened, you know? Weren't we just talking about that same thing in a previous episode not that long ago? It was Prue. It was in the Dream Sorcerer. Yeah, yeah. They do the the same thing to Prue in that episode, where they minimalize what she's going through. So Andy and Fallon are on another cop date, and do you know they are literally wearing the exact same coat? They, they are. They really like, are. Like, I wonder if, like, Andy just had some extras and they were like, oh, here, wear this. We don't have the budget for costuming. <laughs> um, that bridge they're on is super cute, by the way, and it's an actual fixture in San Francisco. They use that same bridge in the Enter the Demon episode, which is, like, super racially and, like, religiously problematic. But the point is that it's a cute bridge. (laughs) Um, After we find out that Fallon is the Wendigo, like, everything she does is, like, super obvious. Uh, Telling Andy to turn off his phone, telling Piper she could be infected. It's just, like, so clear that she's the monster. And she's almost doing exposition on herself, but in a sly way. Yeah. She's, like, describing Mm -hmm. everything that that she's done. Yeah. So they're having some back and forth and 
Andy implies that Agent Fallon is a little bit of a slut and asks if she's married. And she says, you see a ring on my finger? And my response is, your hands are in your pockets. That line is such a great example of everything I was trying to say about her. Like how she says it. It's like, are you married? And she's like, do you see a ring on my finger? Like it's awkward and like sassy and gruff and slutty all at the same time. Yeah, but but there's no way Andy could know because her hands are in her pockets. She's pretty cool though. I don't know. It was just kind of like bitchy, like bitchy and awkward. Maybe it's because I'm also genderqueer and bitchy and awkward. (laughs) That's why I like her. Anyway, <laughs> she has a monologue about how she loved and lost, so she cut out her ex's heart and ate it, and now she's horny. Like, again, I'm gonna have to go with relatable. <laughs> um, the ritualistic elements of this transition are more in alignment with the legends of the Navajo skinwalker um, than anything I found on Windigos, which is what I meant to mention in Myth Taken, because there are lots of legends of people, like, invoking dark forces to become creatures in those mythologies, but it's typically, like, shapeshiftery, witchy kind of stuff. So Prue and Phoebe finally come home from their day of, like, solving kidnappings and sabotaging auctions, even though they're supposed to be, I don't know, throwing them. <laughs> um, and they find Piper in, like, a terrible state, and she is just plain mean. Um... So, you know, we find we realize that she's becoming a Wendigo herself, um, which sort of lines up with the indigenous mythology that those exposed to the Wendigo can become possessed by it. But, you know, this definitely is more werewolfy. Yeah. To be sure. Um, I love everything about Piper for the next several minutes <laughs> in this episode because she's just a straight up cunt to her sisters. <laughs> so <laughs> fun it's so fun she's a total bitch she like reads phoebe for phil for not being able to keep a job like nobody was talking about that phoebe's like piper chill out and piper's like you can't even keep a job and um (laughs) then prue's like oh my god we have to help you and piper is like you're a control freak bitch nobody wants to listen to you i just (laughs) love that don't you ever just want to lash out you know wake up one day and just choose violence yeah Um, After picking up this business card for no reason, Phoebe has another useful vision of Agent Fallon, whose name is Ashley. Um, I have a hard time remembering that when I watch this episode until this part. (laughs) Like, when I was writing the outline, I was like, what's that bitch's name? What's that bitch's name? I can't remember. Because in, like, TV dramas, like, everybody acts like nobody calls cops by their first name. And I just have trouble believing that that's true. But I don't talk to police officers because I'm not a snitch. But they're like, oh, fuck. I thought the Wendigo had to be a man. Okay. Sexist. Women can do anything a man can do, include becoming a hard-eating monster. But also, imagine this situation if the Wendigo was a man. A man who murdered his girlfriend after she left him. Too real and, frankly, gross. But with Agent Fallon here, we almost have this, like, crappy gender reversal straw feminist bullshit where we are led to believe that this woman murdering her ex-boyfriend is empowering instead of toxic. Yeah. Okay, there's not just a level of, like, revulsion and condemnation for Ashley murdering her ex-boyfriend as we would get from a gender reversal of that situation. And we all know it. And I, yeah, absolutely. I didn't that is, think about that. That is unfortunately a toxic thing that persists in media to this day, where women do things to men, and we think it's funny and empowering that we would think of as gross and disgusting if men did them to women. And I really feel like this is just a staggering example of that right here. But at the same time, it's also sexist as fuck because they're implying that, like, strong sexual women are monsters. Yeah. I mean, there's there's this kind of through line in a lot of media. It happens a lot in Buffy the Vampire Slayer because Joss Whedon's an asshole. Uh, That implies that when women have sex, bad things will happen to them. Prue tries to warn Andy about the very obvious monster he's on a stakeout with. And they try to find a way to... 
to cure Piper, but they have to chain her up before she hulks out. Prue's like, I'm so much smarter than you guys. I'll figure this shit out. And they discover how to unbecome a Wendigo and are off to murder a federal agent. Let's talk for a second about how super unhelpful the Book of Shadows is in this episode. Okay. There are aspects of the Wendigo mythology that are not contained in the main entry. And to find them, you have to read Latin, flip to another page in the table of contents, then let that have you flip to another page. Like, who wrote this shit? That is one sloppy book of shadows. And honestly, like, if this is a com- like a compilation of the experiences of every other witch in their line, How the fuck did they condense it down like that? That doesn't make any sense. So yeah, that's sloppy as fuck. I mean, I would never write it like that. I'm I'm a very like, I want all my information in one place kind of a person. Yeah. You know? So I never would have figured that shit out. My sister would have been done gone. Oh, also the Latin instructions were written on the picture of the Wendigo, not even in the text entry. So anyway, I know that's just for like you know, storytelling purposes to, like, keep the thing going and them not knowing what to do for a while. I get it. But it's a crappy book of shadows. And just organize your shit. Put some fucking, like, page protector tab file things on there so you can figure it out, you know? (laughs) I want to compliment Holly Marine Combs on this episode. I mean, she doesn't listen to our podcast and she'll never know, but I need to say it for me. She did a great job. This performance is great. Like, like... Really, really wonderful. Just fucking top-notch job to Holly. She really acted her fucking ass off in this one. This episode is more serious and dramatic than some of the other transformation episodes. Typically, the sisters' changes under the influence of magic or demons are played for comedy. But Piper's bitchiness while transforming feels more disturbing. Perhaps because it's in contrast to her, like, girlish helplessness from the beginning. Um, However, this is the first transformation episode. So maybe they decided to play it for comedy later. Regardless, I mean, this one just kind of hits different. Yeah, no, it's darker overall. Maybe that's because of the the mythology that they were using. They played it in such a darker sort of ominous direction, but who knows? Can we talk about how the whole time they say that the Wendigo like rips out the heart of its victims, but it like surgically and slowly cuts Andy's chest? He should be dead right now. Yeah, but really almost what, like, the Wendigo was doing was just, like, light razor play, you know? (laughs) What's the safe word? Nobody ever told us. (laughs) Uh, So they they took a trip to the Army-Navy store to get a flare gun, much in the vein of what Billy did, because that worked out so well for him. Uh, And Prue and Phoebe are just, like, wasting their flares. Wasting them out in the woods trying to hunt this Wendigo. I guess it did get the Wendigo to back off, so maybe the safe word is flare gun. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Fun fact about this scene, I mean, Prue is a shit shot, right? Like, she can't hit that Wendigo to save her life. (laughs) No. Um, But um, I never would have caught this without IMDb telling me to look for it. Um, When Prue fires the flare into the tree near the Wendigo, you can actually see a crew member behind the tree who sets off the flare. Um, it is, it is just like so subtle, but I can see it now that I was told to look for it. I didn't even notice. So, I mean, they did a good job hiding it for the most part, I suppose. But it makes sense because, I mean, they can't have an untrained actress just firing flare guns into trees in a public park. Like, they can't do that, so they took a shot of Shannon Doherty firing the gun and then a separate shot of a crew member setting off a flare effect in the Mm -hmm. tree. Yeah. Um, They realize that there are two Wendigos and that one of them is Piper, but thank goodness Piper's powers still work. How? How do her powers still work right now? I don't know. You know, a lot of people on IMDb thought that that was a continuity error, but they never said that Wendigos can't have powers, so I guess she has powers. Yeah, I mean, they never said that a Wendigo can't double as a witch, I guess. So, like, I don't know. I just feel like that's weird. It is weird. But the the, the good thing is that Piper froze the flare because Phoebe tried to shoot her in the chest with it. (laughs) I mean, at least Phoebe's a better shot, but she just aimed at the wrong one. Yeah, great aim. Wrong target. Uh, So Piper froze the flare, and Prue uses her powers to hit Ashley, that cold-hearted bitch, and save the day. Uh, Piper turns back into herself and is all nakey, and Andy's chest wound heals 
miraculously by itself. That part bugs me. That part bugs me. That's utter nonsense. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make any like, sense. Because you vanquished the demon, every single bit of damage it done, it did, is undone. Like, how far back is that magic gonna go? I mean, like, are strands of grass it stepped on gonna grow back upright? Like... <laughs> The fucking what the fuck? The man that she murdered to become a Wendigo was gonna raise from the dead and just be right. in his coffin. Seriously, is Billy about to wake up in the morgue? Like, what's going on? <laughs> so no, that's uh, that's just utter nonsense. The next day at Quake, the sisters justify <laughs> Billy's murder by basically saying that he helped them kill the Wendigo, and uh, Prue admits that she totally blew their cover with Andy. And Phoebe quits the third or fourth job we have seen her have so far. Piper makes a bad joke, and the episode ends. Um, the fact that we're told that Prue basically tells Andy that they killed a monster, and then it's never referenced again, is ridiculous. It is completely inexcusable that Andy could continue to be clueless after this. Like, he's suspicious of them, but he doesn't act like he has the knowledge that Prue at least once right next to him has killed a monster. Like, he just, (laughs) you know, he's like, well, we'll just, I don't know, forget about that. That was a fluke, probably. Not the secret I think she's been hiding from me. But no, he in the future, he does not act like he has the knowledge that he should have gained from this experience. This episode was a journey. That was a journey. So we experienced a couple deaths in this episode. I, I think if I were going to pick a favorite, I think maybe my kill of the day would be... Piper's bank account after her laser hair removal. (laughs) Um, I actually sort of love the, like, drama and ferocity on Jocelyn Seagrave's face as she plays Agent Fallon killing Billy. Oh, yeah. But, you know, the purse thing did kind of ruin that scene for me. So my kill of the day is definitely going to have to be Quake's food safety certification. (laughs) Piper came to work sick as fuck. And she put her face in the freezer. What a freak. Of the day. So what would you rate this episode? Mm, I would definitely have to give this episode two werewolves. Because that's what it had in it. Was two werewolves. And zero wendigos. If I were going to give this episode a rating, I would give it one gender non-conforming serial murdering, non-wedding ring wearing, secret agent monster. And see, that again just makes her sound really cool. Um, in conclusion, I totally love that the Charmed Ones go off and help people with, like, more, like, mundane life stuff. I love that. But I just, I just can't get past hating that they did a werewolf story and called it a Wendigo. It's just so lazy and pointless. It's so pointless. And I mean, Phoenix is probably right that it probably was just something as stupid as we already wrote the episode, but we don't want to do a werewolf episode. So just slap a different name on it. So we don't have to write a new episode. Like it's, it's, it was probably something exactly like that. I don't know that for certain, but the fact that they were just like, okay, well, the obvious solution to this problem is to, take the name of something significant to indigenous culture and slap it on our werewolf and um, just act like that's fine and not do one fucking iota of research to see whether or not what we're doing is even slightly close to accurate. Nope. Fuck that noise. Yeah, no, exactly. The biggest thing that makes it werewolfy is the inclusion of the full moon stuff. And I mean, obviously, like the way that the the monster looks, I refuse to call it a Wendigo because it's not the the way that the monster looks is not accurate to the mythology as we covered. It has nothing to do with lunar cycles at all. That's werewolf stuff. That's werewolf stuff. Um, Everything about it is werewolf stuff. And quite frankly, the way the Wendigo looks is sort of like if you couldn't afford the werewolf from Buffy. So you got this at Party City. (laughs) The moon stuff, the ripping out hearts stuff, um, the reference to blood type because of the craving of blood 
is werewolf stuff. The transformation from human to beast is werewolf stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is even a little bit of spurned lover in some werewolf myths. So it was a yeah. werewolf episode. It was a werewolf episode with a stupid name. All right, Phoenix, if the people can somehow stand you, where can they find you on social media? <laughs> That's my line. <laughs> Sorry about it. Well, you can follow me on Instagram at Phoenix Arcana Lightwood. You can follow me on Twitter at Phoenix Arcana underscore. And I mean, if you want it, you can add me on Facebook because that's still happening. You know, I'm really impressed that the names of your socials haven't changed since last time. <laughs> Bitch. <laughs> I finally, I'm discovering my brand. I'm discovering my brand. I'm getting comfortable with having two names. So I'm just leaving it. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's going to stay that way. JK, no promises. <laughs> so I, I literally did almost change it. Not going to lie. Oh my God. You are a mess. Mm. Anyway, since I know that you all want as much of me as you can possibly get, you can follow my Facebook meme page, Siren Spectacular, non-binary meme, which... And you can follow me on Twitter at Siren Spectacular, or you can watch my Coven's YouTube channel, Millennial Incantations. If you uh, want to follow the podcast, you can follow us at WBRcast across the board. If you have a question or something you would like to hear us talk about, please feel free to send us an email at witchbereview at gmail.com. All right, you bastardized local cryptids. Until next time, you better keep on witching. And bitching. Bye. 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 Are you a good witch or a bad witch?